Hello and welcome to The Huddle. Liam Santa Maria back with you as the regular season is wrapped. It all came down to the final day. Incredible Sunday of NBL hoops. Melbourne and Perth in that almighty struggle to see who might finish sixth. And now we've got our top six and we're ready for the play-in games. So what we need to do is glance forward what these play-in games are going to look like. Cairns and New Zealand, uh, sorry, Cairns and Tassie, New Zealand are through, and Perth uh, are making their way down to play against Southeast Melbourne. So to help me with that, one of the highest IQ players in the league, a future NBL head coach, no doubt about it, Jason Kadi from the Brisbane Bullets. So sit back, relax. Up next, Jace Kadi. Jace, what's happening, mate? Good to see you. Thanks for having me along, mate. Pleasure. Silly Sunday. Not a mad Monday for you guys. A silly Sunday yesterday. Uh, wrapped it up with the group. How was that? Uh, it was good, mate. Uh, obviously, we went a day early, just been on a Sunday, and there's a few uh, engagements we got with awards dinners and stuff this week, so it made sense to do it on the Sunday, and um, it was nice. Um, obviously, as everyone knows, we've had a, a very uh, up-and-down year, a lot of roller coaster. Um, I guess just the way it's all gone. Um, so to as a group, just get together. Uh, we organise a little boat and um, enjoy each other's company and kind of just, just be in that setting is sometimes nice. And it was good to really confirm that our group really got along well. We just never got a really good crack at it to figure out who we were. And that was confirmed, I think, in the way we played the back end of the year. And then yesterday as well, just confirmed that even more. Uh, there's a there's always a pretty good sort of dress up scene that goes on with the Brisbane Bullets in on that day. Who, who was uh, best on ground in that regard? Yeah, we tried to have a discussion of that. I, I guess the one, Mad Monday for me, I, I, it goes back to me when I started with Gold Coast. You had some veterans, Stephen Hall, Wertho, Peach, uh, James Harvey. You had a lot of guys, and so it, it was taken very seriously with the, the dress up right. everyone was about it you had to have a good dress up and so on so it's kind of been instilled in me since my rookie years uh obviously the ultimate would be doing a mad monday after you win a championship mm. i think that'd be the greatest day i ever have so but i did get taught early on no matter what you do in your season there will be a mad monday whether you come last or first and so um the boys put in a good effort yesterday i was quite happy with everyone everyone showed up uh put in a bit of effort to find a good costume and and come and be creative so i couldn't single out one single person but I think everyone had a great day and, and uh, it was nice to just hang out one last time as a group because as we all know, uh, everything changes year to year. How are, how are you feeling? I imagine you took it pretty easy yesterday because you've been dealing with some concussion symptoms, delayed onset concussion symptoms. How are you feeling firstly and can you talk me through like how that all played out and, 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 the, and how you, what you started experiencing? Yeah, yesterday was an interesting one because I'm kind of at the stage where I guess I don't currently have a concussion, but I still have symptoms. Um, and so it's kind of day-to-day, it's on feel. So it's it's kind of the classic, have one beer and see how you feel after it. Have a water and then just kind of get an idea. So that just sums up basically how, in that regard, that's how it went. And then also in go for a walk, see how you feel. Go for a jog, see how you feel. And so it started, um, I don't know if, Maybe you were even commentating the game. At the back end of the Southeast Melbourne game, the very last player copped an elbow to the back of the head. Right. And 
and I wasn't knocked out, but it, it rattled me, it rocked me, and then it took me a bit to just kind of get my bearings, and then I, I remember everything. I went and shook hands, and then their doctor came and spoke to me, and I said, look, I got a bump. It, it kind of, it rocked me. Everything went dark for a little bit, but I feel good now. Like I, I remember everything all good, and then after the game, I started to feel a bit nauseous and have a bit of a headache, and so I thought, oh, maybe it's just a fair hit. It's got me, and then kind of woke up, traveled the next day and felt okay, did a concussion test the following morning on the Wednesday morning. So I didn't train, but I didn't pass that. And then we played Thursday against Adelaide. I uh, did another fitness test, felt all great. Game starts, I think it was my first sub. I started the game pretty well, so no one believed me when I said I didn't feel great. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I started to feel a bit dizzy and lightheaded, which, which is not... Uh, uncommon. I've had some things go on this year with my stomach. So sometimes I can get nauseous in games. I thought I had an ulcer, which I had years ago. So there was a bit of like, is it that? Is it not? And then um, as most know, I kind of say out of that game, we travel Friday to Wollongong. I feel fine Friday. Saturday, same thing. Shoot around, feel fine. The moment the game starts in, in Wollongong, about a minute in, I get a, a raging headache and it just persisted the whole game. I couldn't get rid of it. And then it persisted for the next few days. And so I kind of I've never dealt with a concussion, but I felt something was definitely off. And then for basically two weeks now, I've just been trying to go multiple days where I feel all right and, and I've struggled to do it. So it's definitely been something for me. I'm a, I'm a very much tape it up and I'll play through it kind of guy. Yeah. That's how I've done my whole career. I, I, I just I, I believe I just personally feel like I can tough stuff out mm-hmm. and I have a pretty good pain threshold. And, and this has definitely not been one of those. It, it's really showing me that the brain is is very powerful and if it doesn't like something especially with the headaches and things like that it really tells you quickly and it's not something you can mess around with concussion uh, situations and issues have been a real thing this season in particular mm-hmm. you know we're seeing it become more you know people understand more and more about it across the world and so it's becoming more prevalent and and better care provided uh in situations like this in sports all around the world but particularly in the nbl i mean Shay Yilly's concussion issues this season have been a real worry for him in, you know, in a big way. I mean, three times over the course of the year now. And so that starts to become really troubling. But, you know, you throw Dave Barlow into that mix as well. What you've been dealing with, I'm sure I'm missing one or two others. And, you know, people have been really missing games, but also been, been really um, experiencing like tough thing. Now, do you think what what you're experiencing what before you know a few years back before we were thinking concussion what what do you think people would be thinking in your situation yeah see that's the hard part now i guess that's how i treated it when it first happened and funny you speak about shay he's after that Wollongong game um he was one of the first people i messaged because i was trying to figure out if that's exactly what it was and and I guess it's one of those things, until you really go through it, you don't understand it. Like I um, I spoke to you earlier and I said, when Shay first was going through it, I kind of asked him how he was going and he said, yeah, I'm just struggling a little bit times, but I think I'll be back in the next week or two. And then about a month went past and Shay still wasn't playing. And I kind of was like, I wonder what's going on, why he's not playing. And now I kind of have an idea because you start to like throughout the week, in my mind, I was like, I'll, get, I'll play against New Zealand the last game, 100%. And... Um, all of a sudden I start to try and jog and then I jog for three minutes and I start to get a headache. And it's just those things where it's like, you just can't, you try to do things and it just, it hits you so quickly that you just like, you're almost like, no, I can't do this anymore. And it actually debilitates you where you can't get out of it. 
So it's kind of one of those things that I guess until you really go through it, you don't understand it and so on. So I, it's been an interesting one for me to go through and experience it. And I'll probably have more of an understanding now because of that than when, if I didn't ever have it. Yeah, right. All right. Hey, listen, we're, we're going to dive into the uh, play-in situation and, and preview these upcoming games in just a moment. But one more thing on that. How is it affecting you on the day-to-day in your kind of quality of life right now? Now, it's been how many weeks since the hit in that Southeast Melbourne game? Three weeks, Monday. Three weeks. Which is now, today. Yeah, Monday. With you, with your family, we're spending time with your kid. Like, how is it impacting you right now? Uh, I've started to be better the last probably four days. I had more, I guess, longer moments of feeling better. Um, I've kind of said to someone the other day, I just want to feel normal again because I'll go, say, a period where I think I feel great. Like even the other day, I had a treatment thing done. I went and seen a guy up here that a few of us have been seeing and I got home and I was like, I'm going to mow the lawns. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do all this activity. And then I wake up the next morning and I feel average again. I feel lightheaded or dizzy. And so... I've been trying to string together just the thing. And I just said to Sobes, I just said, it's probably the best 24-hour period I've had since basically the, the Wollongong game, so two weeks. But it, it was rough, especially with the kids. They don't understand. And Louis three. He wants to shoot. He wants to run around. He wants to go do this. And kind of saying to even Jazz, like, she obviously needs help with the kids. And I, I just need to go. I'm going to go 24 hours. Where I'm just going to lay in bed and you're not going to see me. I'm going to try and keep it as low-key as possible because they try and tell you to shut it down but still keep stuff light. And so... Right. trying to manage those things is obviously difficult but I, I don't know the other part is there's a real like exact like this this and this will help you right that's the one thing i haven't really got i think there, there's uh ways of going about it there's ideas about it but it's no real strict like where i feel like you, you do your ankle and it's like okay we're gonna go this we're gonna go this we're gonna go yep. that and you're back on the train where well, this is like try this we'll see how you handle it mm. and if it works then we'll keep going along and so you try that and then it doesn't work and you go, well, hang on a second. Is this going to go away? And so mm. I've had a bit of those questions the last little bit. But the last few days, I've started to feel more longer periods of feeling myself and normal and not feeling like there's a daze or lightheaded and things like that. And mm. so it's it's definitely nice to feel like I'm coming out the other side, but I'm very much rolling around with everything crossed, hoping that I'm truly coming out the other side of it. Jeez, that's... That's rough, and it's really interesting. But I mean, this is one hit. This is not like multiple hits to the head that you've yeah, had over a period. Of I've time. never, I've never really had not like this. I've I've had knocks where you go, oh, maybe I'm concussed or whatever. But as I said, I did two concussion tests, passed them flying colours. Right. So it wasn't like the concussion test was a read on, oh, you're struggling. It was more just my symptoms, and especially, I, I went to watch the New Zealand game the first time we played them. Uh, I've lost track of time because so many games, but last week uh-huh. thursday and i walked in i went to a function i was sitting at the function i thought i was going to pass out because i was getting lightheaded so i went and sat down had some water the game started and I, the inner me wanted to be there and then i watched it from you won't be able to see it on camera but i watched it from the hallway so i was kind of removed from the, everything right. going on jeff van Groningen and i was stand, yeah and i was standing there with my young fellow and we were watching he was trying to figure out why i wasn't on the court and and I lasted about uh, almost a quarter and I had to get out of there because I was oh, struggling. So geez. it's definitely an interesting thing to go through and experience. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully you start feeling better for longer um, really, really quickly. Um, wild day yesterday. I mentioned it off the top. Like you, you were with the fellas closing out your, your season together, but um, you no doubt kept an eye on proceedings 
came down to the very final possession. Unbelievable that Perth needed to win by 11 or more. They ended up winning by 12. If Dion hits the three ball in the corner, mm. in that final possession, Melbourne go through. In the end, Perth go through. Could, could you believe it came down to the narrowest of margins like that? Believe it or not, I can, because I've actually been in that situation with Brisbane to uh, two of my first three years. Um, True. The, the, when they announced the plane, I actually, I know people had their thing six of 10 teams, but it was four of eight originally anyway. So I was six of 10. I'm right. like, four teams have missed out. And for years now in this league, anyone can beat anyone, whether you're last, whether you're fifth. It's just, that's how it's been. And it's just any night you can get done. And so when it went to the plane, I, I always thought, especially for those few years with Brisbane, we found form late. If we got in, what happens? Mm. And so now you're starting to see that. And United, the classic story of they found form late, they just miss out. Yep. What happens if they get in? Yeah. And so I don't think it's one of those things of like, you're like, oh, someone just scraped in in sixth. They're going to struggle. It's like, okay, what happens now? This this team could beat anyone. And so the, my, my surprise wasn't there as much because I've been a part of it on True. the losing side of it both times. We got beat by percentage when we beat. Uh, I think it was percentage, and then the year after we beat Cairns by 36 or something, yep. we had to win by a Mozza, and then United <laughs> roll out the next day and they win, so we were destroyed. But uh, I just think it shows the kind of the competitiveness of the league, and now it adds an element of when's the last time we had knockout games too? Yeah, it was a one game you're done. Yeah, and so now we go to this another realm of like, okay, fifth versus six, roll in, you lose, you're done. And so I think just the element of it. The excitement of it is something different. And I think six teams for us as a league, it just adds that other element of like just spice, I guess, to it all. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of times, you know, in the start of the season, teams lose a couple of games and then you'll always hear the, li- the line come out from the coaches' mouths is something along the lines of, it's okay, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I'm, I'm yeah. always thinking back to, to your Brisbane teams or that, that Scotty Hobson New Zealand team that was just roaring towards the playoffs at the end of the season but just missed out. They're another example of, well, who knows what they could have done had they got in there. And there's, there's heaps more examples over the years, but you're right, it is so close that it's not a sprint, but I don't know, it's like a 400-meter or an 800-meter in some, <laughs> in some way because if you do fall behind early... It can really come back to bite you like it has done Melbourne United this season. It's almost honestly more like multiple sprints throughout the year because it's just <laughs> there's there's so many stretches where you, you go. Like that little stretch a couple of weeks ago, we won three games in a row. It was in the space of a week. Mm. We, we only had, we had a good one good week, <laughs> you know what I mean, of like win, string and wings, wins together. But it, And then you play six games in two and a half weeks. And so there's... But then you'll go three weeks where you play game, game, game. So it's kind of like it, the, the season swings so many different ways. And obviously everyone says, oh, well, if you just win early, then you make the playoffs. But just so many things go on throughout a year. And if you even look at our year, we, we barely have anyone to the start of the season. And then we start to find a rhythm and then there's a change. And there's just so many chops and changes and injuries play such a part. So if your group can find a good rhythm for the whole season, happy days. You're laughing, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm. But if you can find a rhythm at some point and you have that stretch of, hey, we have six games the next two weeks, if you go 6-0 and in that two weeks, you come out of it 
in a whole another place to what mm. you went into it. Mm-hmm. And so, w- with with the league being so tight, it's it's just one of those things that it's just it's hard to do. And I feel like I just I, I pray for the year. I hope I can get one where everything just goes to plan. There's no real injuries, and and I'd love to be a part of one of those. That's for sure. For sure. Well, there are six teams. And as a result, all their players that have that opportunity now looking forward still this season. So let's let's zero in on these playing games. Thursday night. Can't really look beyond that. We can talk Sydney, New Zealand down no. the track. We don't know what that game is that's going to be the final one to get into um, to play against the Kings. But what we do know is on Thursday, South East Melbourne hold, host Perth and Cairns host the Jack Jumpers. Let's start with South East Melbourne and Perth because that's going to be the first one tipping off 6.30 Australian Eastern Daylight Time. But what are your just kind of overarching umbrella thoughts about that matchup? The first one I have is South East Melbourne haven't played for a long period of time. They, they missed this last round because of the schedule change with New Zealand. And so I just, we played them off an eight-day break. I think it was eight-day break when we beat them down in mm-hmm. Melbourne and just coming off a break mm-hmm. can be interesting because you go a period of time of you can train but it's not the same and as I said sometimes when you're just filing through games you just find a rhythm of playing and so I look at it from the point of view of Southeast Melbourne have a lot of talent and they're at home which is a massive advantage but coming off a break do you get off to a slow start and then Perth find a rhythm and Perth have clearly gone the route of we're going to score more points than you which um I think is an interesting one because a lot of teams don't have the nuts to really go that way with it. And so they're kind of really rolling that way of like, we're going to come out and try to score 130. Can you come with us? Mm -hmm. And so Mm. off a break, you always get the element of the first two minutes can become a massive hit to the guts because you haven't played for 10 days or whatever it is. And so I just look at that of Mm. how does Southeast Melbourne come out of the gates and will that dictate where the game goes from there? It was interesting watching yesterday, man, because when everything was on the line, they sat down and guarded a little bit, the Wildcats. Mm. Um, Corey yeah. Webster, he had his best defensive game of the season. Luke Travers was the Luke Travers, really at both ends of the floor and on the glass that everyone's been hoping he'd be on a, on a game-to-game basis this season. And they were communicating. Brady Manick and Tashawn Thomas, you could see them talking a bit more than they have all, all year. So it was interesting to see them kind of lift that up a little bit when everything was on the line because it was desperately needed. It wasn't there on the Friday night against Cairns. Um, the other yeah. thing I think that you'd have to be a little bit worried about if you're the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix or their fans is Cotton just went two of 20. No. <laughs> Which means he's due. <laughs> Which means he's yeah. So he could come out like I wouldn't be surprised at all if he has like 15 in the first quarter, and they get off to a flying start. Well, I just the thing about a Perth is they've got Bryce Cotton. Yeah, I mean, any game you roll into with a Bryce Cotton in a situation like this, you'd be pretty happy if you're John really knowing you've got Bryce Cotton on the floor. And so I, I just regardless of what he did last game, and obviously both of us think, well, hang on, he could come out and just go whack, 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 and oh, look out. I just think having that guy on the floor, he's just proven over and over again how good he is in those situations. And him going two of 20 last game, 
Do you really think he's rolling in this game caring about that? Not one iota. He's re- he'll be ready to go. And I think the biggest thing for me with Perth is you never want to say it because you don't want to help him. But I think Travers is playing more in the four now. And I actually think that's where he is in the NBL. I think that's where he's a, he can be elite because he's he's fast and he can handle the ball. And we've seen teams in this league with your Zave Cooks and your Creakies and your Hogue when he goes to the four and, and, and those alike. When the four-man can carry it, it really can dictate your offense and where you get to. And I think him going to that spot now, fours are guarding him. He's shooting it better, which helps, but it frees up their offense. Now it's not on Bryce to bring up the ball every time or Corey. They have to carry it all the time. He can just get it go, and now we can play. And so it's really been an interesting one for me, actually seeing them use him there more and more than just playing him at the point or so on. Yeah, he, he carried the ball all game last night. Yeah, I mean, Ty Webster played 10 minutes. And he actually he there were it was to Sean Thomas and either Brady Manick or Jesse Wagstaff or was what two of those three on the floor, and it was Luke advancing it, and then it was Cotton and Webster, Corey Webster on each of the wings, and it looked it looked great. I mean, he was playmaking out of pick and roll. Um, he was just he was the Swiss Army knife on the floor. He was Xavier Cooks for Perth. Well, because the other thing about that too is you got a, a lot of fours and. Fives, they're used to defending on balls as the screen defender. Right. So now when you start to put people in actions like that, now fours have to navigate getting through screens. Do they switch it? All those things start to play out. And I think that's one thing you see Sydney do a lot of random screens with Zay because it's a hard one to defend as a big. Are you going over? Are you going under? You go under, he takes up space. And so I just think with a guy like uh, Luke, as he's starting to figure it out and, and, and mature, He's got the skill set to be able to take advantage of that. And it's not it's now it's simple reads for him. Get downhill. He knows how to make extra pass and that and now the fact as you start knocking down the three ball a little oh. bit because people give it to him. We've done it. Yeah. I've left him at times. Mm. If you're gonna beat us making threes, but he's actually starting to knock him down over games mm. now where it's like do you give it to him? And now I've always been a believer, let's see if they'll make him when the when the everything's on the line. But he, he's starting to make a few, so yeah. now you have to guard him. And I just think it, it really frees up teams when you have a guy like that and you use him in that space. Yeah, that's what Sydney did yesterday. They well and truly gave him that shot, and he hesitated a little bit to begin with, even after he made one, and then he stopped doing that, and he just started making quick decisions. And he was he was knocking down triples. He was t- putting it on the floor, taking up that space. So he was He was absolutely outstanding. For the Phoenix... My understanding is Ryan Brockoff's going to play. Now, he may not be 100%, but it's an all-or-nothing game. He's going to be out there. What does all that kind of mean to you? If I'm Perth, you go straight at him. Uh, I think you have to. You have to see how how fit he is. But the other end, the thing about, uh, I guess, even like it doesn't matter how someone's playing, how they're shooting it, if they're injured or not, you have to guard him, right? So I think for Southeast Melbourne, it gives you a, one of the best floor spaces in the league because no one's helping off Rowdy. No. You can stand him in a corner and someone is going to be close enough so he can't catch and shoot. Mm. Um, knowing Rowdy a long time, I would I would think if he's playing, he's he, he must feel like he can move pretty well. And that's really all it's going to dictate. It's not about what he can do. It's if I can move, I, I can have a go. And so... For them, I think they need him. I think it, it, it gives them that genuine guy that, as you saw in the game, he got hurt, can just go whack, whack, whack and, and blow open a game or keep you in a game. And so I, I think it'll be interesting how his health is, but 
I think for Southeast Melbourne, if you have him, you have to try. The Phoenix are the best offensive rebounding team in the league. And Perth, over the course of the season, not yesterday, Luke Travers in particular was really good in this regard, but over the course of the season, they've been the worst defensive rebounding team in the competition. And when they matched up a couple of weeks back, the Phoenix absolutely monstered them on the glass. Yeah. Alan Williams, Mitch Creek in particular, like basically it was the ball game, the fact that they dominated them on the glass. What can you've played against the Phoenix over the course of this season? Alan Williams, the brute that he is and the way in which Creaky crashes the offensive glass. What can you, what can Perth do to try to overcome that massive problem? Well, they're just persistent, right? Like um, they're both just workhorses on the glass. They get it and they got a feel, they both have a great feel for it. And the other part is you get Dane and people like that coming in who also have a natural feel for going to the glass. And so it's not like it's just, one or two, it's actually multiple guys that just have a, have a feel and have that, they're just always around it, they're always around it. And I think the, the one thing when we played them was we kept them off it for majority of the game and it allowed us to get out and go too at our own pace. And so that's the part with, with Southeast. If you, can, if you can do a good enough job, now it's, it's easy to say, oh, just keep them off the glass and yeah, you'll be fine. Now it's not that simple because mm. there's a reason they're so good at it. They, they have guys that just mm. get it. But if you can manage it and keep it at a lower rate than what it normally is. Now you can go off it. And now with your guys, like if Ty Webster's healthy and, and your Bryce's and, and Luke rebounded, just get it and go and see what you've got in trans and how do they counter that now as they crash? I think that's, you're not going to take them off the glass, but can you minimize it so that now you can actually go against the grain with them and get it and go? The, um, I mentioned Alan Williams in particular, like in that matchup, he had 27 points, 14 rebounds yeah, and good. six assists. They just played through him in the block, short rolls. He had the floater going and then just going, just pounding away at, to Sean Thomas. And then you've also got, you know, Brady Manick has been great over the course of this, this back end of the season. He's been shooting the heck out mm. of the ball and he really battled yesterday on the glass and defensively, but he's a, he's a pick on guy. And Mitch Creek, they yeah. will rest assured they will be going at Creaky and he will be given the direction to put your head down and try to go at Brady Manick. I mean, for you, is that the key element of the ball game from a Perth perspective? How those bigs handle Williams and Creek, both defensively but also on the glass? Oh, yeah. I, th I think, first of all, does Williams have one of the best big floaters we've seen in? Maybe ever. It's not. He's touch. He's elite. I remember the first time we played him, I was like, nah, he's actually really making that. Like, he, that's his shot. <laughs> yeah. I, I chatted to him the other week about it, and he said he developed it. He only just started doing it in the NBA. So we look yeah, at right. it and be like, man, what a tool he he has there. And he was like, I'm in, I'm in practice with the Phoenix Suns and these guys are so tall and athletic and I just had to find a way to get it up and over the top. And he mentioned oh, the, the one he hit against you from the free throw line saying DJ Mitchell was yeah. like, dude, you just hit that from the free throw line. Mate, it, like, just, it's, it, it looks nice too. Like it comes off with the beautiful height. But um, I think if, if I speak on our experience to your question, I think... Creaky's the one, man. Creaky's done such an excellent job, like for, for a number of years now. But he just, he's elite fitness. He's had a great space with what he's playing and what he's trying to do. And he's really just, 
any matchup he feels like he's got you, he, he's going at you. And I think going back to one, the game we did beat them, it was the best job we did on Craig. I think he might have even still had 20, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I, I, it wasn't the games earlier he killed us. I think he, like he just he went at us. He targeted people. He got to his spots. He got free throws. And then the next game, we actually did a great job in the second half. He, I, I don't remember him really shooting much in the second half. And then late in the game when it was kind of some big possessions, he took two threes. But I said to someone, I think that's the first two threes he took for the game. And maybe the first shot he'd taken in the fourth quarter. Mm. And it's hard for, I think, him. He's not a natural catch-and-shoot guy. But when Creaky's rolling, he can do a bit of everything. Mm. And so I think if you can minimize his impact and at least make him feel like he's not touching it all the time and, and try and take him out of his space, once again, easier said than done, and it's a collective effort, then it gives Perth the best chance. But if Creaky's going, Southeast Melbourne are going, and now you're dealing with a different beast. And now... Williams and all those guys can just feed off it because you've got to overhelp. Now he's crashing the glass, and now it's just a steamroll effect of everything coming off the back of Creaky, and that's the reason why he's in that MVP conversation. And then on the flip side, down that other end, the Phoenix going to have to keep control of this unbelievably dangerous Perth offense with Bryce and Corey yeah. Webster. Ty Webster's going to be a little bit more healthy coming in. Luke Travers, confident, and Brady Manick and, and to Sean Thomas able to do what they can do. So... Man, it's going to be a, a fun game to watch. With all of that considered, where do you sort of lean in, as you look towards that game and you think who might advance and oh. who might finish their season? My, my gut feel is it's going to be a straight shootout. It's going to be a high score and high-flowing game. I, I just feel like they're both going to just trade buckets. Oh. You normally say the home team, but this year there's been that feel of away teams are getting stuff done too. I just... I feel like no matter which way you pick, it could look silly because either team could come out and just go whack, 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 and it's over. But I, yeah. I have this feeling like that break that Southeast Melbourne have isn't a benefit. I know it helps people get healthy, but mm. I just feel like Perth rolling in, they won the other night, get their tails up. Um, Bryce needs to have a good game. You trust him in that situation. I just can't help but feel like they might have be able to get jump them early. And then it becomes how much effort does Southeast have to use to get back in the game? But um, you have to Perth. I just Perth with Bryce Cotton. You have to give a, uh, the slight edge to. But you could look very silly saying that. There's no doubt. <laughs> hey, welcome to my world. I look silly. Exactly. Space. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, all right. So as soon as that one wraps up, whether it's Perth or Southeast Melbourne that get get the win. We're going to go to far north Queensland. And the Taipans mm. and that Cairns Convention Centre is going to be rocking and they're going to be ready to step yeah. out against the Jack Jumpers. And both teams are going to be missing a really key piece. Keanu Pender, who's going to be an all-league guy this season for the Taipans, is going to be yeah. sitting on the sidelines. And Josh Bajet, who suffered a broken cheekbone and a fractured eye socket in that win that they got on the weekend to lock themselves into the top four let's what what stage of that game did he get hit in they if i remember correctly and someone can will correct me no doubt on social media when they listen or watch i'm pretty sure they had a pretty healthy advantage and in hindsight captain hindsight would say he could have potentially not been on the floor at that point Okay, so it was later in the game. Mm. 
Yeah, okay. I was just I was interested just because I was talking uh, yesterday. I think I was talking with, when we saw Majet was going to be out, and I just I don't know how it goes for Tassie. I I feel like part of me feels it could go. It sounds like I'm double digit, but part of me feels like it could go horribly wrong, or it could just work out that they just are really really good because of it, and they just everything's through Doyle, and they just roll. Mm. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's going to go either way for some reason. It's like they're going to be excellent or it mm-hmm. could go south for them quick and it could get weird because he controls everything they do. He carries the ball. Who now fills that role for him? Do they go kind of more defensive and everything's through Doyle, but it puts a lot on him with a Cairns outfit. So I just, that Majet one for me, not having really seen him play without him, I, I just, I'm, I'm really interested to see how that goes. Yeah. So this is going to be a lot of Sean McDonald. Uh, running the one is going to be maybe a little bit of Jared Weeks, and I think you're right. It's going to be a lot of Milton Doyle, uh, you know, advancing the ball and, and handling the rock and playing out of pick and roll. Um, I I think, and it's interesting. We talked about that chat I had with Alan Williams recently, and I asked him who's really impressed you over the course of your first season in the NBL, and he said the Jack Jumpers, and he said they have a a system where guys can just come in and out of the game, or they can. Guys can miss, and it's like a plug-and-play system in terms of the buy-in, the culture, how well-drilled they are. Like, they didn't have Rashad Kelly, who's the best six-man candidate and a real impact guy on the weekend, and they they didn't miss a beat. They didn't miss a beat in that regard. Jack McVay and Krizlovic, Besto stepped in and threw his his body around. So that's going to be fascinating because whether they're able to actually action that in this situation or... As I suspect, I think that the that the level of impact that Majet has with that group, how important he is in terms of being the Scott Roth extension on the floor. We talk about their yeah. ability to control tempo all the time, and he's an absolute master at it. I think his impact on that team often goes a little underappreciated. Yeah, it's one of those things, right, where I guess people uh, in this league, I guess sometimes I cop, but they just see you needing the point guard to be this kind of do everything guy, be in the MVP conversations where I feel like some groups just need a guy to kind of do what he does, just get people the ball, fill in spots where he needs to. And he kind of just goes about his business week in, week out. No one really talks about it. But whilst he's doing that, everyone else around him is getting better. Those, those people are these days very few and far between, I think, in those little roles where it's really appreciated, as you said. And I think he does a good job with that with that team. And what's really probably helped is that last year he had an Adams, this year he's got a Doyle. And so when you've got that guy alongside you, it's, it's a compliment because you know where to get them the ball and, they know, and you know they're just going to get it done. And so I yeah. think, as I'm saying, I, I, just, I feel like they're either going to really miss him and it could go horribly wrong from up there or there's just going to be that that weird thing where it just it, it, it all works out and the way they play and Doyle goes crazy and then everyone else feels a little role and they end up being excellent. I just it's it's a hard one. I just I struggle to see them being even ground with it. I just feel like it could go one or two ways and it'll be almost to the extreme side of it. All right, so on the flip side, the Taipans and um, them getting it done with Keanu, without Keanu Pinder. Now it's we all know, we both know how great Pinder's been over the over this season when he's been healthy. But the numbers, they don't lie. Like, the team has a better winning percentage without him on the floor. H- how do you wrap your head around that? 
You kind of can't, right? Because Keanu's been excellent. I think the way he's played, the way he's gone after it, he's got a confidence. Obviously, Forty does a great job of him. Like I think Forty understands him and knows. Sometimes it's about guys that are kind of a bit different the way they think and things like that. It's just about understanding who they are and what kind of gets them going. And I think Forty must know that with Keanu, and it's really blossomed this year. And they play a style that suits him. And um, I don't think there's really an explanation because you can't tell me that they're, they're better without him, but their record is excellent. They play well. And I think it's they've got some guys, as you just spoke about, Tazzy, who just they plug those holes really well so they can manage it. I think they play a bit different. Without Keanu, they can really spread the floor with Wardenberg and it, and it pulls people out. It mm. makes bigs have to defend them out. And then it allows McCall and, and Hogue to kind of really get in there and play off that and allow Scott another probably underappreciated guy. He just gets things moving. And so it's kind of an interesting dynamic because you wouldn't think they'd be better without him. But as you said, their record says they are. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're bang on though about the lane because um, Keon is not like a, an Alan Williams who just parks himself down there, but he is constantly looking to roll down through the lane, early yeah. ball screens in transition, handoffs, and he's rolling, looking for the lob time and time again. But without him, Wardenberg's picking and popping a little bit more, and the lane, especially for Tajir McCall, who, yeah. like, he becomes an, a real offensive weapon when Keanu's not there because he's got space to penetrate into. And the other thing they do without Keanu is they use Tajir McCall as a screener and a he short role playmaker which has worked that's what, pretty um, well for him. that's what we spoke about when we actually played him uh i don't even remember when it was now but we spoke about how he now he basically plays the four and and he's just he's he's a he's obviously I, without knowing him he seems to really understand that he's kind of their engine he kind of gets them all going and ticking and and from what i have heard it, it's an everyday thing from him it's not just games and mm. so I think the fact he is the way he's defensively, he's a pest, he's up and in, he's, he's in lanes. And then offensively now, he's screen and rolling. And because he, and he's a guard, he's making plays off that. A bit like you even said about a Travers in the four spot. He's mm. able to get off and make plays. And now, are you defending him with a four or are you defending him with a guard? Who, who's def- are you defending him with a five? Because you're not saying, well, we don't care about him shooting. But... Mm. However you're defending, now you've got guards that are in on balls. It just It's a different element to guard, right? Mm. It's not a natural thing. And so when you've got guys like Bull and Hogue and Wardenberg and all them space in the floor, Scott, um, it just it's a different dynamic which people have to deal with. And then the other part of that is that they're going. And so with a guy like McCall coming downhill at people in trans, he's just putting pressure on the ring. And so it's just a different dynamic with him there than probably what everyone's really used to. And he does that role very well. What are the, uh, what do the Jack jumpers do about DJ Hogue? Because in big moments, he has oh, been enormous for that team. I feel like he doesn't miss down the stretch, especially <laughs> if it's a, like 30 seconds left and he shoots a three. It's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting one because he's almost, he's too big for, like little guards and he's probably too quick and spreads bigger guys, but you could maybe go with like a Kelly or someone and try and be physical, um, climb up and in. Um, can a Kenyan climb up and into him when he carries the ball and make him have to work, especially because they do put in his hands to carry. So it's kind of one of those yeah. things. 
can it can it can he climb up into him full court, make him have to work rather than just get it to where he wants to and now play out of it? I think you've got to give him different looks. Um, and then you've probably at the other end, he does a great job actually defensively. I think some people try and knock him for his D, but he seems to actually he's actually a good shot blocker, which helps. But he seems to defend mm-hmm. stuff pretty well. But can you put him in stuff at the other end and make him defend so he's got to worry about the other end as well, not just worry about playing offense. Mm. But he's shown to be tough and, and he has a straight wet ball. So you've got to worry about that wherever he is. And it's the For same sure. thing as like a rowdy. I mean, obviously he's healthy, but wherever he is, you're worried about him catching and shooting. Whether it's in trance, whether it's in half court, no one wants to leave him. And so just having that guy out there, you can kind of use him as a decoy too. And it allows guys like McCall get downhill, get downhill. So it's an interesting one. The last question on this one is the, 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 a stylistic one, the battle of these two styles. Because I look at it and I go, you know what? This, this Jack Jumpers team is built for the playoffs, the way they play. They're, I've been saying over the course of the season, they're the best team in the league at executing in crunch time. Because as the game slows down and it becomes how well you execute at both ends of the floor, particularly in the half court, in the final big minutes of games... They've been playing that way since the opening tip. That's what, and they've been doing yep. it game after game, so they don't have to change their style. And then the the question about the Taipans has been this free flowing green light system where they lead the league in three point attempts, and whilst they're not, you know, they're they're not a long way off the bottom for three point percentage, they're super streaky and can get really hot yeah. and go on big runs. And the question is, well, does that stand up? Does that stand up in the bump and grind of the postseason? It's the, it's the postseason now in this game on Thursday night. How do you think those, that battle of styles plays out in this environment? Well, we're about to find out. So I think the other element to it is, too, it's, a no, it's, well, it's not a knockout game. The team will get a second chance, but it's a one-off. It's not a three-game series. Right. Mm-hmm. So... It, it's a it can't to come out and get cooking at home and it's whack 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 and now it becomes a up and down and now Tazzy are out of their comfort zone of wanting to play at their own tempo but if if Tazzy can really get him in the grind of it then you'll start to see that play out where it's like okay can can sit down and defend in the half court and then can they still offensively execute well enough to get it done but I think the one thing Cans have done better this year than probably previous years is I think they know who they are this year. They're not second-guessing who they mm. are. They know that's how they want to play. And they've got the guys to get it done now. Like, they've actually got the guys to get – having guys like Hogue and people like that, it just enables them to play that way. And then you bring in a guy like Wardenberg, like even against us in Brisbane, uh, in Cairns the other night. Majuk Deng hasn't probably been doing a whole heap, but he comes in the last quarter, he makes three threes, breaks the game open. And he's been doing that for a long time. But you kind of forget about guys like that because mm. you're so worried about other people where prior years – Juke's starting, so you're really worried about what Juke's doing, especially at the start of game because he's in the game, where now he's kind of coming in periodically and it's, oh, hang on a second, Juke's in now. What are we doing with him? And so I, I think they really have a flow with what they're doing and Forty's got them playing with so much confidence that I don't think it matters that it's a playoff game. I think they're going to play the same way and they're going to play with confidence. And can, can Tassie without Majette play at the tempo they want to do and control the pace? Mm. Can can McDonald bring the ball up and get him to what they want to get into? Can Weeksy do it? We know Weeksy's been doing it, but can Weeksy do it for the full 25 minutes if he's got to play 25 minutes? Right. Do they play 
Isaac, do they go Steindl in, in the two and they pop Doyle at the one? How are they going to go about it, I think, is the interesting one. And that's why I'm interested how it plays out because I just I think they might do some different things and it could be amazing for them or it could be, hang on a second, we've lost our guy that kind of keeps everything ticking over when we're in that grind of it all. Yeah. My, my thought about the Taipans also is um, they play so loose and free offensively because they guard. And this, I think, yeah. has kind of slipped a little under the radar in the narrative around this team over the course of the season. Like, they ended the regular season second in defensive efficiency, right there behind New Zealand and right there just a nose in front of Sydney. And those three teams have been outstanding at the defensive end of the floor. But everyone's attention gets taken with Cairns to the three-point shooting, but the yeah. job that Bull Kowal and Tajir McCall and Sam Wardenberg for a first-year pro, these guys are doing at the defensive end. Like, 40 has that team really guarding. They're long and athletic and disruptive. Yeah. And it, it gives them so much margin for, ever, for error at the other end. And that's why I've got to a point now where I'm actually not concerned that their style will translate to the postseason because what they do at that end of the floor. Yeah, they make it a grind. I think the last... I just spoke about it. The last two years, it's probably gone a bit back to my first four or five years where you're allowed to hold and you're allowed to climb up and in and grab. And, and, and I think if you look at some of those teams that have really adjusted well to it, they're one of them. They've got guys... The biggest thing that you said just then is they've got length and they've got athletes and they, they've got people that enable them to do that as well. And so they can play different ways defensively, but they do, they get up, they hold, they make it a, a physical contest and they, they do the, the classic, are the refs going to call a foul every possession? Let's see. <laughs> and so it kind of is. It and, and three years ago, they would have. And you would have been in foul trouble and now you're going, hang on, get your hands out. We can't keep doing this way. But at the moment, the way that yeah. it's been officiated, you're allowed to do it and see what we can get away with. And let's test it out. And we're going to do it every possession. So it's the same way every possession. So they can't say, oh, you're held on this possession. We're just going to hold every mm -hmm. possession and get up and in and make it a grind. And some teams have really done a good job of it. And they're one of it. And they, they make it tough. They get up and in and they do all those things. And then off the back of that, as we spoke about, They've got good length and size at those certain spots that even without a pinder, they're able to cover the glass and they're able to cover rebounds and then mm. they just get it and go. And now mm. you're on your heels. Mm. And so I, I think they've done a very good job of it. And I think they've got the right personnel to play that way too. I think that's a great call about the physicality. And it's, it's, it's the thing I'll be watching right from the very top of the game. Because I expect it's bull qual that goes to Milton Doyle. You know, they've got other guys that they can I send there. So. Jim McCall can do that as well. But Book Wall is the, probably the, the lead guy in that physicality sense in terms of hands-on yeah. and, and making it tough. And there have been a couple of games this season where the refs right from the very top were like, bam, Bull, you can't defend like that. And he's picked up early fouls. He fouled out in 11 minutes in a game in Melbourne, you know, at, in Melbourne one one time this season where he just like every time he went near the play, he picked up a foul and he had similar issues in one of their most recent games as well. So how the officials deal with him guarding Milton Doyle early, I think is going to be, is going to be important. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing that as a player, I've been kind of frustrated, confused with, because I think it's actually a hard way to officiate. What, what is, what is allowed to grab? Why are you allowed to grab in this spot, but not in this spot? What dictates 
Because if I'm trying to cut and you're holding him in, that's not, I guess, affecting the offense. I'm like, well, it is because I'm trying to get there and he's holding on to me. <laughs> and I think I think Bowles done a great job of offensively does his thing for them and he's done a great job and he's really evolved. But he's a strong guy and he yeah. and he climbs up and in. I think a prime example of that was, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, Tyler Johnson, the start of the second half when we play him a week ago, whenever it was, gets the ball, they call a foul him three seconds into the half, hands on. That next possession, he does the exact same thing, but it's a no-call now. And so, as a player, I sit there and go, what's the difference? Right. But for some reason, there is a difference. And to your point is, I guess at times too, he'd go into that game and go, well, why is it now a foul? But in that game, it's not a foul. And yeah. So I think for him, he's not going to change the way he plays. He does a great job of it. And it's it's probably, as you said, it's actually been McCall's their barometer, but he very much starts it for him. And he comes out that way. And then what you have seen, which we've experienced, is off the back of that, he'll go whack, 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 and hit two threes early on, and mm. it really opens up the game for him. And now he's cooking, and then they all flow on. So uh, I think he'll go to Doyle early for sure. Mm. Well, two really intriguing matchups. Uh, before, uh, I nearly let you off the hook there. Who, who do you lean there, Cairns and, and Tassie, when all said and done? I think, I think Cairns at home. I think the place will be pumping. I think they're playing a good style of basketball. Um, they almost were second. I just I feel like they'll get that win, and then it'll be rocking in Tassie when they play Perth, whenever that is after that. Okay, there you go. You've unless Southeast, your unless Southeast, make, Southeast make, might make me look silly, and Creek will have thirty five, and he'll message me about it. But if you go on, not on Thursday night, that will be hilarious for me. Um, hey, it, thanks for jumping it's on, man. Highly likely. Yeah, it is. It's it highly is. likely. It could go any direction. Hey. Awesome to chat, man. Love speaking hoops with you. you. We usually catch up at this time of, of year at the awards night and have a bit of a catch up. Not the last couple of years with COVID, but I dare say you're not going to be there tomorrow night. You're, you're lying low. No, right I'll, I'll come down, but um, it'll be a pretty quiet night. I just, I'm hoping my guy Tyler gets six man of the year. I think he's okay. uh, he's been incredible for the league and and one of the best imports I've been around. Not even the best, just the best blokes. He's a legend. I absolutely love him. Um, and so the chance he wins it and I'm not there, I'd be pretty disappointed. So, no, I, I'm hoping to make it down tomorrow night. All right, cool. All right, well, I'll see you tomorrow night at, at Crown. But in the meantime, thanks heaps for the chat, man. Appreciate it.